Hi everyone and welcome to the Substantial Upgrades podcast. This is the last part of this four-part episode where we are looking at the March Madness bracket and we're going to look at the North region. So we're going to first do a short summary and then we're going to dive in the detailed analysis of the matchups. Now this is the most unbalanced portion of the bracket in this tournament by far. The upper part with Illinois is loaded loaded with good teams, whereas the bottom part is overall quite forgettable, really. This means that we get quite uh, funky win conditional proba- probabilities, with Illinois only having a 10.5% chance of winning the tournament, which, by the way, is exactly as priced by the market right now, so it's a kind of a neutral value bet. And then they also have only 29% chances of winning the region, which is the lowest of any number one seeds, despite not being, in my opinion, the worst of the one seeds. Therefore, clearly they've been penalized by the way their region is built. The second team with the higher chances for me is Oklahoma State, at about 5.7% probability of winning the tournament, followed by Houston at 3.9%. Other two teams above 1%, probabilities here are West Virginia and Tennessee, both at 1.1, followed by Georgia Tech at uh, 0.8%, and finally Syracuse at 0.5%. Now, Oklahoma State has a 2.0 cover of the betting implied odds in the betting markets right now, second only to Texas in my estimations. Therefore, Texas and Oklahoma State appear to be the most value bets, albeit I do prefer Texas, all in all. And uh, the rest of the odds are under the water. However, I do like Georgia Tech and 91 as an investment. I feel like they have the prototype of the team that can win the tournament, albeit they might lack talent in some positions. Now, let's start going matchup by matchup. Number one, Illinois. So Ayo Dozumnu and Kofi Kirkburn are a dynamic duo, and you can build a lot of good teams around those two guys. The, uh, both of them are two natural scorers. The Sumnu average is the one that averages more points per game. Cockburn actually uh, averages more points per played minute, but he doesn't play as many minutes as the Sumnu. Actually, I don't see, I honestly would give Cockburn more minutes uh, if I were Coach Underwood, and maybe you will see that in the tournament. Now, those two guys alone could guarantee any, t- any team a trip to at least a Sweet 16. But then Illinois is not just those two players. They also have uh, other young talent at the roster. Uh, the guard rotation is excellent for a college uh, for a college level of play. They have freshman Andre Curbelo. He's the best six man in college basketball for me. He's very intense, electric player. Not a good range shooter, but an otherwise complete two-way player. Then we have Adam Miller, which is another freshman uh, in the front court, which plays well off the ball and average 8.2 points a game. Then we have Trent Fraser, which is the veteran presence in the backcourt, providing a savvy playmaking, a very good D. Then the rest of the, um, the roster with uh, Besan Shvili, Mont Williams and Jakub Grandison, they are also good complementary pieces. And this is a team that can for sure win it all. They can um, beat Baylor, they can beat Gonzaga, they can beat anyone. Uh, Illinois' success is predicated on playing well in the paint, play efficient offense, with good spacing, they get to the free throw line a lot, but they actually shoot under 70% from the free throw line. 
So it had flex similar to Baylor here. And they are an exceptional rebounding team on defense. Second chances are in general rare for their opponents. And the, the weakness added in addition to the free throw shooting uh, is that they force few turnovers and concede a lot in the paint. They lost a good defensive team that can slow it down and thwart Dozumnu attempts at the basket. Like they, they lost to Maryland, they lost to Mizu, they lost to Baylor, they lost to Michigan State. All these teams have in common is defensive intensity uh, and like guarding de well uh, the point guard. So uh, that's the kind of footprint you need to have to upset Illinois in the tournament. Now, uh, they face number 16, Drexel. Drexel is the winner of the Colonial, a tournament where both finalists had the losing records coming, uh, coming out of the regular season. They face Elon, which also had a negative regular season rec uh, record. They are a slow-paced team, very methodical, very efficient offense, run by junior Cameron Winter, where I like to stress that Winter is written with a Y instead of an I for who knows why. Then, uh, albeit not very long, they outrebounded opponents by a wide margin, but I suspect that will change now that they face Illinois. And overall, um, they're not an impossible matchup for Illinois, so... That's a 160 matchup for a reason, and Illinois has 95% or more chances of advancing. Uh, the winner of this game will face the winner of the 8-9 matchup, which is between Loyola Chicago and Georgia Tech. Loyola Chicago is one of the slowest paced teams in the country, excellent free field goal percentages, thanks to their top scorer, Big Ben Cameron Krutvik. They can shoot the trees with these, 38%, with the backcourt of Williamson and Brandon Norris. They dominated the Missouri Valley Conference with only two losses to Indiana State and Drake. Drake, by the way, won again versus Loyola Chicago by one point the day after being blasted by 30 points by Loyola Chicago. That's another reason why I don't think Drake is a tournament team, but we talk already about this. Um, Loyola Chicago has seven players that average more than seven points a game. They are the best scoring defense in the country, uh, thanks to the slow pace, but also because they are rebound opponents and create turnovers without committing many faults. And they are the team with the fewest free throws allowed per game against them. I think that's quite important for a tournament team. Now, they face Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech at number nine, it's a disgusting seed for them. I think they are a number six seed, if you ask me, and playing like a number four seed right now. They enter the tournament on an eight-game winning streak and an SEC title championship. Now, it's a veteran team where all the PNCs finally clicked under Josh Pastner in his fifth season there at the helm of the program. Jose Alvarado is an exciting player to watch. Averages three steals per game, this guy. So intense is its defense. Um, Moses Wright is the other senior player that has made a huge step forward this season. A double-double threat in every game he plays. He's actually the top scorer of the team. Albeit is a bit matchup dependent. Then Michael Devo and Baba Param complete a very solid backcourt with great on-ball defensive skills. They do not have and not employ a deep rotation. But you could do worse than Khalid Moore and Kyle Sturdivant as your first options on the bench. Overall, this is going to be a heated defensive battle. But for sure, Alvarado can take over this game. Especially considering that um, Loyola is a meddling uh, turnover ratio uh, mm, uh, against uh, one of the 
over the best seeding team in the country in Georgia Tech. Uh, you know, give me the Yellow Jackets here in this matchup. I have them favorite as a 70% winner probability. Then we go to the fight all matchup between Tennessee and Oregon State. Now, Tennessee, hard team to figure out. They tend to play few close games. They either stomp or get stomped. And without the common denominator, denominator on like what kind of team can put them into their space and what kind of team they can stomp on their way to a victory. Uh, technically, the strength is in the defense, top 25 in the nation. But the time they go off falls offensively, despite having meddling three-point uh, percentage shooting. And, um, uh, you know, and they have an effective uh, field goal percentage of exactly 50%, so quite uh, middle of the park. Now, um, the name of the game for Tennessee is sides at the wing and efficiency on both sides of the ball. Springer and Kieran Johnson, both rookies projected to go in the first round in the NBA, are the main scoring option, together with Victor Bailey. The spiritual little team, is senior. they are the senior forwards, Fulkerson and Frenchman Yves Pont. Now, they are undersized interior players, but they have a rich two-blocking game. And playmaking is in the safe hands of Santiago Vescovi, the sophomore from Montevideo, Uruguay. He's recently improved three-pointers um, percentages. If he keeps going in the tournée, then... Tennessee becomes a much harder team to beat because it makes life easier for their many off-the-ball players that they have. Now, they have a great core seven-man rotation that brings this on every procession on defense. Now, it's a spooky team in this side of the bracket. They can uh, uh, certainly match well with many other teams that are on this side of the bracket. Uh, obviously, their main handicap is probably experience because they have quite uh, too many freshmen and they, they could create problems in a, in, a, in a part of the bracket where most of the teams are quite veteran. So, uh, very hard team to figure out. They can go out to the first round and they can make a final four round. And you can tell that about any team probably, but if you've been paying attention, I haven't been saying this to all many teams. Tennessee is one of those, I feel like. Now, number 12, Oregon State. Of the three power conferences, that uh, winner, that were surprising winner, we had Oregon State, Georgia Tech, and Georgetown. Oregon State was the most surprising to me. They won against teams that uh, easily beat them in the regular season play. And uh, to be fair, the, those wins that Oregon State had at the Pac-12 tournament were in my opinion, mostly due to the other teams underperforming. However, they still are the power Pac-12 champion and they are uh, deserving to be in March Madness. Now, senior Ethan Thompson had been the only scoring option for most of the season. However, sophomore Gerald Lucas has evolved as a scoring during the season and sports a 3% shooting percentage of 40%. Raikol and Latish are a decent wing player, and six-man Gianni Hunt is a sophomore providing much-needed 3-and-D to this team. Now, they lack sides inside, but center Maurice Calou adjusted the breakout Pac-12 tournament, so they need to keep him rolling if they have any chance of upsetting Tennessee. I see Tennessee winning this matchup with a 72% chance. Oregon State is not a 12th seed. Oregon State should be a 10 or 9 seed, but um, it's going to be an entertaining matchup. Then the 4-13 matchup is between Oklahoma State and Liberty. Now, it's a crime that Oklahoma State is a 4th seed. This team is a 2th is a seed, pretty clearly, uh, to anyone uh, 
watching actual basketball games. Um, they um, now they have to face uh, such tough competition to get to the elite eight, and it's not fair to them because they. I think that uh, if they were uh, properly seeded, there would have been much more opportunities to get to an elite eight for a program that is not in this position very frequently. E, they are one of the hottest team in the in the country. In the past month, they swept the Bedlam series with the rival of Oklahoma, beat West Virginia twice, and still somehow West Virginia is at number three seed. Oklahoma says four, like. Why? And then they also beat Baylor. Only two teams beat Baylor this season. They were Kansas and Oklahoma State. They're one of the best recruiting class coming in with number one recruit of the country, Kate Cunningham. They started his college career with huge expectation and boy, did he deliver. This guy is arguably the best guard in college basketball. He keeps elevating his game. Each game he, he, go and play, he goes and play, he will be the number one overall pick in the NBA draft come June. And he's the prototype of the modern basketball player. Athletic, tall for the wing player, 6'8", average 6 three-point rebounds a game, more than 20 points a game. He's a double threat. He has a 41% 3 per, uh, 3% shooting and can pierce defenses in the paint with ease, getting to the free line a lot and often during games. Uh, basically, ceiling for me is Russell Westbrook. That's the kind of player we're looking at. Now, um, until February, Columbus Day was all, mostly him. Then, the rest of the team start catching up. Moncrief is another freshman. That he plays forward. He has great rebounding instincts. He's a great off-ball complement for Cunningham. And same can be said uh, uh, for Cunningham backcourt um, partner, Avery Anderson. He's a sophomore that plays good D. He's a facilitator on offense. He needs to improve his 3% shooting, though. Uh, the other freshman is Rondell Walker. He provides scoring from the bench. He would start in other teams with the cards not so good to start in front of him. Uh, their big men are not huge, but they're quite effective on both ends of the floor, with Cali Boone a much improved player this season. And to underpin the rotation, they have Isaac Likelili. He's a two-way two player. There will be a secondary offensive option in a loss-loaded team. Here is probably the fourth, if not the fifth, offensive option. Um, and also they have senior guards Bryce Williams, which is also a nice piece to have off the bench. Now, they are a very athletic team with a superstar. They can crush the offensive boards. They just need to hold on defensively to, to win against anyone. Their problem is the tough bracket ahead of them. Now, if they beat Tennessee, I have them as a potential um, winner against Illinois. If they actually go and face them, I think that's a toss-up, a 50-50 matchup. But uh, for them, it's going to be very difficult to get past Tennessee. Now, number 13, Liberty. Seems like a constant presence in the bracket in recent years. They also won their conference last year. But as we know, we didn't get the national tournament. They come out of the Atlantic Sun. A good conference, although on a bit of a down year. They retired McGee and Caffey from their tournament upset victory against Mississippi State in 2019. This is now a veteran team with a winning DNA. They are a bit undersized to bring it to Oklahoma State, so it's a bad matchup for them. I think Oklahoma State shouldn't have many problems in putting them away, but I've seen uh, more upsetting things happening in the tournament. I think Oklahoma State has a 90% chance of winning this matchup. Then we go to the 11-6 line, where we do have Syracuse and San Diego State. Now, Syracuse... Welcome to the worst part of the bracket, where Syracuse has actually a good chance of winning this part of the bracket. 
Now, I liked the Orange Man back in January when you could see there was a complete team which was learning how to grind out, grind out wins. Now they made it to the tournament and they're still quite dangerous, especially, as I said, in this part of the bracket. The problem with Syracuse and the reason why many thought they would not be selected is the lack of quality wins. And indeed, they seem to win against bad teams and lose to good ones. Does this make them a meddling team? I don't think so. I think there's a lot to like, to like here. Uh, this is a both-way teams, albeit far more efficient on offense than defense. The shooting numbers are not top-notch, and their defense is predicated on defending the rim and forcing turnover with half-court pressure. Now, um, the, uh, defend, they defend well against teams with good guards, but they also have a win against North Carolina, which is the best offensive rebounding team in the nation. So this tells me that they can play with anyone, and they are not match-up dependent. And there's something, a good quality, for sure, to have in a tournament like this one. Buddy Bonheim, the coach's son, is a prolific scorer, shooting 36, 37% from three on a very high volume. Alan Griffin is probably their best player, an athletic guard with excellent rebounding game. He's an efficient off-the-ball off scorer. Then they have Guerrero, he's an undersized interior player. He's very athletic and brings intensity on both sides of the floor. And then they have Girard and Dolezai, are great complementary pieces in the starting five. Kadari Richmond is a freshman that comes off the bench, has shown some flashes of brilliance this season, in the late part of the season, and could be a key player for them to make a run. Number six, San Diego State, is the team they're going to face. Last season, San Diego State finished as a top six in the nation without, unfortunately, having the possibility of playing in the tournament for uh, the reasons that we know. Now, this team has lost its most prolific scorer and playmaker in Malachi Flynn. He is now playing in the NBA. But they return a veteran team of Shackle, Mitchell and Pulliam. That was the backbone of San Diego State Fortunes last year. They added Terrell Gomez, a transfer from uh, Northridge. He's a 3D play, 3 and D player, well suited for the Aztec uh, brand of basketball. Uh, Mitchell is the point forward of this team with Shackle in an off. Um, off-ball shooter role, barring trees at a crazy high 46% pace. Mensa rounds up a solid starting fine with athleticism at, center, at the center position. However, it does have subpar rim protection. Now, their bench rotation is quite deep, but unfortunately not very good. So this team certainly passes the eye test when you look, see them play. But after all, they're only 2-2 two and two versus tournament teams. And those two tournament teams have an 11th season, Utah State and UCLA. They lost twice to Utah State before actually winning against them in the championship game. And uh, they, their win against UCLA was their first game of the year. So I hate to say this for a team that is like late into the season, but for me, they're kind of untested, especially their defensive prowess is untested. So um, the, it's going to be a Tightly contested defensive game with Syracuse, but I see Syracuse going forward on talent alone. So I have Syracuse winning this with a 60% chance. We then have West Virginia versus Morehead State. This is, uh, for me, a very tempting upset pick, but it's for the, um, it's for the Braves. <laughs> now, West Virginia is a team that has a knack for playing close games. They should not have a three-seed. They should be like a five seed, but here we are. So one of the few college teams with a bona fide nine-man rotation. They have literally a nine-man rotation, almost at an NBA level of length in the bench. 
Um, therefore, they do not uh, they do not have a single superstar, but they have several contributors, which in general means they can make a Sweet 16 run, but then they lack the superstar power to go farther. Now, quite a veteran team. They are, however, led by sophomore point guard Miles McBride. Uh, he dishes five times a game, and he's also their top scorer, shooting 39% from three. Derek Calver is probably their best offensive option, thriving on second chances of the board. Uh, the steady guard play by veteran guards like Taz Sharman and Shop McNeil solidify a good offensive package that gets a lot on the free throw line. Now, um, Calver shoots 61% from the free throw line, and that's a bad red flag to have for a guy that uh, is going to be your main offensive option. Now, uh, Oscar Schwiebe is in his sophomore year. He was a top 30 recruit in the class of 20, 2019. Has so far been a disappointment due to inconsistency in his play. In the games where he comes to play, West Virginia become a scary team inside and can go punch for, for punch with the best offenses in the country. Unfortunately, as I said, Schwebe is not that constant. This is a team that can make a run only if there are uh, certain winning conditions. And I don't trust for them the winning condition to be there. That's why I'm not very bullish on them. Now, they face number 14, Moorhead State. This team has only lost once since January to an excellent Belmont team that they, have been, that they have then beaten twice in two weeks to secure the OVC title. Now, Johnny Broom brings a lot of athleticism as a freshman and almost average a double-double, provide top-notch interior defense. Uh, they have a long rotation of solid veteran players at every position. They concede very few free throws, which could be a matchup problem for West Virginia. Overall, they have the size to contrast the Virginian side, so it is really down to guard play, who is going to impose the rhythm of the game. And I do like the upset here. This could be a close game, as West Virginia tend to be in close games a lot. And yes, it is a nice spot to pick the upset in your bracket. Morehead State is on fire. West Virginia is, is on a rough stretch. So, um... Teams going in opposite directions. There's only two things that can happen. <laughs> they keep going opposite direction, you get the upset. Or West Virginia bounce back and then they have a good uh, a good run. Maybe a Sweet 16 team. I really don't see them going up farther than Sweet 16 anyway. Uh, let's say that they have a two-thirds probability of winning this one. So, Rutgers Clemson. This is a snooze fest. If you want to take a break from your TV schedule over the weekend, skip this game, at least the first uh, 35 minutes. You can watch the last five, unless you really like defense, of course. Now, Rutgers is the first tournament beat since 1991, led by a competent backcourt and experienced playmaking with Ron Arpa, Jacob Young, and Gio Baker. None of these players take my breath away, to be honest, but they are, they are a nice trio at college level. Miles um, Johnson is a scary presence under the basket, averaging three offensive rebounds and 2.5 blocks a game. And Rutgers opts of advancing rest on him, of Miles Johnson. They are a bad three-shooting team that play at a slow pace. Those two things, they are rarely successful in college basketball when you put them together. So um, they do have some wins in this season, for sure. But they also frequently got blown out by weather competition. Um, I, yeah, if it's not 
it's not my favorite team in the tournament for sure. Um, and they face Clemson. Clemson, number seven seed. Shouldn't have been a number seven seed, but here we are. Uh, if you want, uh, you know, the, the, this both these two teams, Rutgers and Clemson, play a slow brand of basketball. And they can shoot the three. <laughs> uh, so not much of a spectacle, as I said. And having a similar profile, also Clemson is a team with some nice wins, but they also get blown out frequently. They, these two teams mirror each other quite well. Uh, even Duke dumped on Clemson this year. So uh, Amir Simpson is their point forward. He's perfect for the Clemson system. He's all their top scorer. And then they have a trio of guardian those Honor and Trap, which are dependent on this team. When they produce offensively, Clemson is a much tougher to beat. Uh, when they don't, Clemson can become a cupcake, as we've seen. So uh, they are one of the best defense in the country. That, but statistically, uh, that doesn't show up much because they do get blown out in games, as I said. So you, if you isolate their wins, they're the best defense in the country. If you isolate their losses, not so much. So when they play good D, their defense is second to none, probably. The problem with them is that they are much up reliant on the defensive side and on the offensive side, they are just not that good. Now, this is a toss-up. For me, I'd say 51% Clemson because they are a better, far better free throw shooting team. So if it comes down down the stretch, Clemson has that uh, edge. Final matchup of this part of the bracket is number two Houston versus number 15 Cleveland State. Now Houston is 24 and three on the season with no double digit losses. That, that's quite impressive. Now, Houston is the second best scoring defense in the country and a top 50 of offense. You could see why they deserve the, the, the number two seeds. However, their strength schedule is not comparable to other higher seeds. So their best win of the season is versus Texas Tech. And, you know, they were severely tested twice by Lemphis late in the season and were likely to escape with a win both times. So um, it's basically... The only two close conference games they played was one with Memphis. Uh, so what, what I'm getting at is that Houston suffers from the usual problem of team coming for uh, conferences, which is not the power conferences. They are untested coming into the tournament. And again, it's something kind of um, redundant to say every time, but it, it is the way it is. We might be misjudging entirely this team. We're going to know this only in three or four days so now Quentin Grimes is the star of the team and projects like a nice two-way player in the NBA uh, he's a 3 and D guy that can torture you when he's on he has a 41% three-point shooting percentage this season so quite impressive Jaro is the um, is an athletic point guard that plays intense D and can also rebound and block then Sasser is another three-point shooter uh, on the team but the average is only 33%, so a worse shooter than the than Grimes. Uh, if he gets tricky, though, uh, Houston can give problems to anyone they face uh, with three-point shooting alone. Uh, freshman Tramon Mark is developing well behind the starters. He nailed the winning buzzer beater against Memphis, so the guy got game. <laughs> and, um, and then they have Justin Gorham. He's an undersized center, but has mastered the art of box out. So Lang still remains... Houston may weak and weakness, 
but mostly on the defensive side because on the offense they are the second best rebounding team in the country which is quite impressive for the since they're not a long team but again defensively they can still struggle against a team with sides inside um Therefore, if they place an athletic center or a team with a stretch four, they cannot go under quite easily. So that's why I don't see them making such a long run. They're going to face Cleveland State, number 15. They are the winner of the Ryzen League. This team should probably be a 14 or 13 seed. Now, Tori Patton is their top scorer and top rebounder. He's technically a guard, but he's a, he's a team with limited length in the starting five. So that's why they're... <laughs> their uh, top rebounder is actually guard. The spiritual leader of this team is Ter Gormillion, which is an excellent, excellent on-ball defender, uh, but can also get going on offense when it's needed. Uh, Craig Bidian and Demoy Hodge are the other two main contributors, both finances and scoring department, and it's a team that shoots the three badly and defensively is quite lacking, but they've shown improved focus in the conference tournament. They make quite a nice run in the Ryzen League tournament. Um, the stats here say that they're in a very hard place against Houston, but at the eye test, I believe they can give Houston some trouble. Now, um, I think Houston has a 85%, even more, chance of winning, but it's uh, among the two seats, it's the one that uh, I think is more at risk. Um, so yeah, and that, that's it for the, for the North region. That kind of also concludes our entire uh, special. It was a long four-part episode. I hope uh, you enjoyed. I hope, uh, I hope I helped you fill in your bracket and uh, find some good value in anti-prospecting. So most of what I said uh, is going to get tested soon. Hopefully I didn't say too many stupid things. We're going to need an update to these next week once we see the first and second round now they develop. Uh, uh, but yeah, I think it's going to be a great weekend of basketball. We're going to get the usual great finish uh, of games and uh, the bracket is going to look so much different after Monday and we will need to reassess it. <laughs> Not with a four-part special, but still, it's part of the fun of following March Madness. So that's it for me and I'll uh, see you all next week, most likely.